All right, so we have Don Davis with us uh, on on the show today, and the first question for you, Don, is who is Don Davis? Don Davis is a desert dweller, a podcaster, a voiceover, a book and bourbon lover. What is a, a desert dweller, and um, you know how how did you wind up in the desert? How did I wind up in the desert? You make it sound so bad. It's not that bad. <laughs> I think those who need to be here are called. I, I, I believe that totally. Um, I was living in L.A. for about seven years and came out randomly on a trip with friends for the very first time to Joshua Tree, California. And as soon as I hit what we call the Yucca Grade, there's a town called Yucca Valley where you come up from the 10 down where you would go to Palm Springs. And uh, as soon as I hit the top of that grade, I felt something physically shift inside me. It, I call it my stand up and pay attention moment. And from the moment we got here, everywhere we went, went, everywhere we went to eat in the Joshua Tree National Park, everywhere, I just had this sense of I need to be here. And that was in April of 2016. By the end of July, I was here in an apartment living. Um and the weird thing is that ever since I moved out of my parents' house a long, long time ago as a you know, late teenager, um, I have decorated every place I've ever lived as if I were in the desert. Mm. I had Native American prints, cactus kind of stuff, adobe kind of stuff. And um, so when I got here, it was almost like this is very familiar. And now it was not only in my house, it was outside my house. Got you. So what were you, what were you doing at the time before you started podcasting? I am a voiceover by trade, so I have a studio in my house, and I do a lot of e-learning. Um, I've done some audiobooks, but my most of my work is regional commercials for radio and uh, e-learning and training corporate narration. Gotcha. Very nice. So you have a radio background. I was on the radio a very long time ago at a very small station in New Jersey called WCNJ. I don't even think it exists anymore. Um, yeah, and we actually had a window that looked out on the street, so when people were at the stoplight, they would look over and could wave at us. Nice. Very nice. <laughs> yeah. So how did you get into podcasting? Well, it started off when I was in L.A. I was considering starting a blog um, you know, blogging is another thing that kind of has come along as something you can do at home and potentially make an income from. So I was trying to think about what I would offer as my content in a blog. And um, after some thinking about it, it occurred to me that as a woman of a certain age, I would have some information to offer younger women relative to finances and relationships and things like that. So I went out and I pulled up this WordPress site. I put it all together. I solicited my 16-year-old niece for questions like, what would you want to ask um, about life in general that you might not want to ask your mom about? What would you want to ask me? So she sent me like 10 or so questions, and I started uh, down the path of putting those together in blogs, and I never pressed the button. It's still sitting there to this day, not the, launched. The website. And I don't, right, Yeah. So then I, you know, went on with myself and just kept doing my voiceover and then came out here to the desert. And then I started meeting all these really amazing women that were either here for, you know, they were born and raised here or they had moved here from some other place like me, called here, um, had some kind of maybe spiritual experience or whatever. Um, and I thought, wow, maybe instead of having the blog that I had, maybe I could do a podcast because that would also get my voice as a voiceover out there. 
in addition to all these great stories about all these women. So that's how the podcast was born. So you decide you're going to do a podcast. What do you go out and buy? <laughs> I didn't buy anything. I um I am a library lover, and I went into my local library website and pulled out a couple uh, podcasting books that once I got them, I realized how dated they were based on technology. But some of the concepts, you know, were still good. And then I bought um I did buy a book, and I can't remember who wrote it, but it was a very small like ebook mm-hmm. um, that I downloaded on my iPad and was reading that. Being a voiceover, the um, technology wasn't so much an issue as it might be for somebody who does doesn't have that background because I know how to record audio. I'm not um, an experienced audio engineer per se, but I can get the job done. Um, so that hurdle, that wasn't a hurdle for me. Um, and then I just went really to kind of went through all these materials and I said, okay, well, I need to have the concept and I need to decide how long it's going to be and I need to decide where it's going to live and all that stuff and went about the business of doing those awesome loops and tutorials um, and just started asking a couple of friends like, like, Hey, I'm thinking of doing this podcast and mm-hmm. I would love to have you come on and be an interview. So I started with my friends locally and then sort of branched out, uh, getting introduced to people or as people would come and be interviewed, they would say, you need to talk to this person and this person and this person. So that's how I got to 67 episodes as of today. So you decided to go with Lipson. You you bought a microphone or had a microphone already because you were doing voiceover. Uh, right. You didn't launch the website, so you kept it pretty low budget to start. Right. I actually have a totally separate website for the podcast, and it's a totally different name than the other road that I was going down with that blog. Gotcha. So you did a WordPress website, which is this is relatively inexpensive. Did you have to put any more money into it, or this is really that's how you started? That's really how I started, and I didn't even go WordPress this time because I have a, a website. I have websites through Wix using the like the premium channel, if you will. Okay. Uh, I have a website for my voiceover. I have a website for my acting because I was also doing acting in LA, um, and I still do that out here at local theater. And so I just went with Wix because it was what I knew. So they have theaters in the desert. They do. We actually have about, um, there's actually three or four of them. And I was the co-founder this year and uh, co-producer of the High Desert Fringe Festival. Very nice. Very nice. Yeah. So um, how did the first one go? Gosh, it went great. Um, my guest was Sarah Witt. She is uh, great. She moved here about the same time I did. She's a chef that goes out and forages in the desert as the Native Americans would have done when they were here in this area and uh, creates dinner experiences around those things. And she's really animated and very thoughtful. Uh, so it went really, really well. Hmm. Forages in the Just, desert. Exactly what does that mean? <laughs> well, there are certain plants um, that either bear fruit or have, you know, twigs that are associated with, say, I don't want to use this term because the, I've learned that it's a derogatory term, but I'm going to use it because I can't remember the name of the stuff. Uh, it makes something called Mormon tea. And it's a plant here in the desert that if you pull some of those twigs off and boil them up, it makes a medicinal tea. So she, uh, prickly pear bears fruit and you can take the fruits off and boil them down into a juice and they are delicious either as a juice on their own or just add vodka and you have a really nice <laughs> tail. 
So you said uh, the word Mormon is now offensive. Man, I, jeez, uh, everything is offensive. I don't know. She wrote, actually, Sarah Witt, if you look her up online, I think it's sarahwitt.com or .net, uh, S-A-R-A-H-W-I-T-T. I know that she has a part on her website where uh, she learned about that term and that it's inappropriate because the Mormons, I guess, didn't technically discover it. <laughs> it was being used by Native Americans all this time. And then the Mormons came to town and said, oh, it's Mormon tea now. So okay. that that gives you a little bit of the gist of that. Yeah, Got it. All right. So um, how, how did you come up with this idea? And is it catching on? Did it catch on? When did it catch on to do what you're doing here? Well, um, I live in Joshua Tree is a pretty rural area to begin with. So I find myself educating in addition to doing the podcast, because a lot of people, um, as I discovered at uh, podcast movement from was it Tom uh, from Edison? He had that was a great presentation he did on all the facts and figures about why people aren't listening to podcasts. They don't know what they are. They don't know where to find them. They don't know how to choose them. So I've had some education on that part. Um, but my first month, I had uh, 280 uh, downloads or listens, and now I'm up to about 1,500. And it's all very organic. It's I haven't done. I don't have any sponsors or advertisers. I haven't done any real um, promotion. Instagram. I started an Instagram for it before I even launched an episode, and that got a, that generated a lot of traffic. I mean, you know, people look at 280 and go, "That's not a lot." Well, whatever. Um, <laughs> to not have anything up, it, I, it was getting some traction, shall we say? Um, so that was that was my best friend. So it's just driving. Uh, the traffic is coming very organically. I leave cards. You know, this is a town where if you have a band and it's playing somewhere, you go put a poster up in front of our local uh, restaurant called Crossroads out on the board. You know, and the poster game in this town is pretty rough. Somebody come along and put their poster up in front of yours and stuff like that. But I put cards in there. I put them in the restrooms of some of the local things because we get a lot of tourists here. We've got about 3 million people coming to the park now annually, which is a little out of hand because uh, the rangers will tell you we're loving the park to death. And it's um, people are coming up here that don't aren't really educated about the ways of the desert and they're hanging their hammocks on Joshua trees, which are protected tree. And you can't do that. It's illegal. so, uh, but we, because we get a lot of tourists, I will go in these places and drop off, you know, cards and just leave them there. And the next time I go back, they're all gone. And, you know, whether they threw them away or <laughs> whether someone actually took them, which I prefer to believe the latter. Sure. Uh, you know, and listen. And I've got people listening from people who come here and discover it. And they're like, oh, my gosh, I would love to move there, but I can't right now. But having your podcast really gives me a sense of how I would go about that or what it's like to live there. So I hear a lot of feedback from some of the people who do listen, like from Kansas or um, Alaska. So uh, did you say you were up to 1,500 downloads and listens per episode? Yes. Okay. No, no, per month, per month. Per per month. month. And you're doing how many a week or how many a month? I do four. So I do one a week. It's a 30-minute weekly conversation with women who live in the Mojave Desert. Do you try and do it at the same time every week so it's posted at a consistent day and time? I absolutely do. That was one of the things, even though those library books were a little dated, that was definitely one of the things that I picked up from there was that consistency is king. And if you don't have that, 
you're going to lose people. So every Monday night I'm uploading. So it's there on Tuesday, you know, or goes right to their subscription via, you know, Apple podcasts or whoever they listen through. Got you. And how much editing are you doing? And if you are doing it, what are you using? I don't do a ton of editing and I do a really, I use a really um, kind of unknown program to a number of people called sound studio. I think it was something that was used to come as baked into your Mac when you got your uh, laptop or whatever. So I use that, and I don't do a lot of editing at all. We sit down at the table, we start talking, and uh, I make sure you know I keep an eye on time. But when I go back in to edit, I don't add any music. It's really like bare bones and simple. I take out a lot of the maybe false start sentences, the ums, the ahs, the things that go. And... Um, and um, sure. I take those out <laughs> so it looks clean and we both – I say we both sound smart. So you invite these guests into your living room and you do the, the, do the, you do the show right at the kitchen table. I do. How do you know you're not inviting uh, strangers or weird people over? I mean, <laughs> I mean are you sure you're safe? I'm sure I'm safe. And I think that's part of um, being in a community like this. We That word community means so much to us here because we are a community of people and you really have to have a love for this place to be here. Um, and we go out a lot. I mean, a lot of people will say to me, what do you do out there? And I'm like, okay, well, there's about four theaters that are either running a, a Philharmonic or a play at any given time. Uh, there's music venues and open mics galore. There's a ton of musicians out here. So re- essentially on every, any given night, you could be out every night of the week doing something, being somewhere with the people that live in your area. And, you know, I don't know what the population of Joshua Tree is right now, but the sign on the highway says like 8,900. I would venture to say it's probably around 10,000. So what is the, you know, tell us what the content of the of the show is about every week. What are you trying to get across? Well, usually what I do is um, I'm trying to find out either why people came here or why people stay here. And I shouldn't say people, I say women. It's really focused on uh, the women that come here because back in the 40s, there was something called, or even before that maybe, there was something called the Homestead Act where the government was trying to essentially give away this land for quote-unquote agricultural purposes. So if you came out and... um worked the land and built a structure that was like 10 by 12, they would just give you the land and you would live on it. Mm-hmm. So met, but many of the people that came out in the, say the forties were men who had mustard gas poisoning or other breathing difficulties from the war. And there was a doctor in Pasadena that would recommend that they come out here to live. So if you imagine these men who have breathing problems, they're coming out here to get well, but they're not completely well. So their wives are the ones who are doing all the work and figuring out how to you know, dig the wells and all that kind of stuff. So that's a bit why I focused it on women. And there's a bit of, it seems like a phenomenon that so many women do come out here. And it was one of the first places that women could buy property as a single woman in, the, in those times. You couldn't do that in other places. So essentially we sit down and the first question I always ask is, what was your first experience with the desert in general, like it doesn't have to be this desert, any desert. And then how did they end up moving here? Was it a family vacation? And they had, you know, this feeling like, I feel like I need to move here. Um, and we go through that. Then we talk about how did they know anyone when they moved here? And if they didn't, how did they go about finding their community? 
Uh, we talk a little bit then about more individually what they do either for a living or in the community. I think I sent you a list. I have people who were running for Congress recently who are political activists working with the local uh, immigrant prison. Um, we have an amputee shop owner. Um, so their backgrounds are varied, musicians, artists, activists, moms, they do everything. So we talk a little bit about that. And then usually I wrap with, if someone were to ask you or to tell you that they were thinking about moving to the desert, what are some things that you would tell them to be ready for, or, you know, what advice would you give them? And that's usually how we wrap it. And what kind of feedback are you getting from your listeners? I run into people often that have never met me before and they'll go, Oh my gosh, you're the one who does that podcast. I nice. love that. You know? Yeah. So it's pretty cool um, that people are enjoying it. And I get emails or Instagram messages from people either talking about, you know, I was out there and I really love it and I'm trying to find a way to move there. Uh, this is been really helpful or I was visiting there and happened to stumble upon the podcast and I know I can't come there now but I love listening to all these stories about these women and how they got there and what they do there and yeah so um why do you why do you like doing a podcast what is it about podcasting that brings you back to the kitchen table every week <laughs> well it's now I've got you know some people that are listening and kind of counting on it being there I would say it's definitely a labor of love and a passion um, just because I do love the work of voiceover so there's that part of it um, and then for me what's been happening is a lot of times when we as a community are out at some functions we see people that we know or we think we know, but this has given me an opportunity to sit down with people either that I do am acquainted with or even am not acquainted with that were recommended to me to be interviewed. And it gives me that 30 minutes or 45 minutes by the time we do all the, you know, chit chat and everything. Um, it gives me that one on one time with them to really get to know who they are as a person in a deeper way. And then the next time that I see them, I feel like I know a little bit more about them than just, Hey, how are you doing? How's that thing? Oh, great. Okay. See you next time. Sort of interaction. Do you know? Yeah. So my, my, my thought was, um, you're sitting at the kitchen table and it sounds like it's mostly a one-on-one -on -one, uh, interview that you're having. Right. I've only done one that had two. Well, I've done two different things. I've had one interview that was a mom and a daughter. Okay. Which was cool. And then I did another thing where I go out into the community when there are like these craft fairs and stuff like that. And they're like, rent a table for $10. So I will go out and rent a table for $10, but I bring all my podcast stuff. Nice. So it's not only an opportunity for me to get the word out about the podcast and get some potential guests because I have a sign up sheet for email to get the weekly episode emailed to you every week. And I also have a sign up sheet for do you want to be interviewed or do you recommend someone that I should interview? Um, and it gives me an opportunity also to educate about the podcast. Well, I don't have an, a lot of people here don't have a smartphone. They still have a, you know, flip phone. So how are they going to get the podcast? I said, do you have internet access at home? Yeah, I have a computer. I said, okay, we'll go online and go to YouTube. It's a static photo, but you can hear the audio. Go to SoundCloud. You can hear it there. So I have it in places. I not only have it in places where it's accessible to more people, but these opportunities give me the chance to have more people listen and be interested. So my question about when you're doing it at, at your kitchen table, is there a specific reason why you don't do it on Facebook too? 
Well, I have a lot of women who come and say, the first thing they say when I answer the door is, I'm so nervous. And I've had a couple people email me before the interview and say, is this on camera? Do I have to dress a certain way? Gotcha. And I think that it lends itself to being a lot more relaxed. Sure. And especially at the kitchen table. I mean, like I said, I have the voiceover studio, but it's a walk-in closet. I can't set up a table and chairs in there and the whole nine yards. There's no room for that. Gotcha. So I just do it at the kitchen table. And that itself lends a bit of comfort because it's just like two friends talking, sure. you know. <laughs> so do you plan to try and make some money at it? Well, I have a donation button on the website, and I have gotten donations. I have a couple people who have a d donation subscription, if you will. So once a month, they send a certain amount of money. Right. Um, I'm looking at Patreon. It's taking me a long time because I find I'm not good with that uh, platform. There's just something about it that is kind of difficult, and I don't know if it's difficult for me. Will it be difficult for people? I have to kind of sort that out. Uh, but what I've been thinking of doing in order to add value to get people to go to Patreon is doing a kind of a postscript 10-minute uh, segment after the initial interview and capture a couple of um, more personal questions from each person and then have that be the, you know, private link that the Patreon subscribers get. So they get that little extra at yep. the, after the interview. Yeah. I think that's a great idea. It's really a... You know, we have a Patreon account too for ours. It, 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 you do have to babysit it a little bit, I think, and you do have to push it out for people to. I didn't even know what it was until another podcaster told me. So it's going to be hard for people that don't even podcast, I think, to to catch right. on unless you know, unless you're in that, you know, in that uh, in that kind of space there. So I wanted to ask you what advice you had for other podcasters or people that are thinking about getting into it. Well, like Dave Jackson says, just launch it. Um, but I would recommend either, um, reaching out to somebody who you're familiar with that may be doing a podcast, uh, go on Facebook and get on that, uh, podcast movement group. There's so much information. Just use the search box on the left for any questions that you have, or just put your question in there and someone will answer it. Um, there are so many people doing it now with so many levels of experience uh, you can really find a lot of information just by searching on the internet. But, and I would say, don't be afraid to do it just because, you know, you may have a challenge you think with to technology or something. I think for most people, that's probably the biggest thing is the recording. Um, those, that would be my advice. Just gotcha. start. Yeah. Now where, um, we're running out of time here. So where can people, uh, reach you, listen to you, get in touch with you, uh, and donate. Okay. Well, everything is available at the website, desertladydiaries.com. And you can email me at desertladydiaries at gmail.com. And we're also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. On Facebook and Instagram, it's at desertladydiaries. And Twitter wasn't long enough, so I had to go with at desertladydiary, singular. <laughs> Well, that's a great name. I love the name. It was very catchy when you sent an email over, and which, of, of course, you know, when you see that in the subject line or you see that name, it, it uh, grabs you, and so you want to make sure you, uh, you you reach back. So it's a, it's a great name, and it sounds like you're having a, a, a great time and, and a lot of fun out there in the desert. I am. It's a really amazing place. If anyone gets a chance to come out and visit any desert, it's a really different kind of landscape, and who knows? You might find it really interesting.